Good morning, God's wonderful people. Welcome to another episode of Logos on Thanos, where we give focus to expressing the life of the Word of God. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is alive. You are alive. You're alive today for one reason, and that is to give God thanks. That is to express God in this earth. You are alive today to show forth God, to show him as the only God, to show him as the one who rules and reigns in your life and in this earth. Make today a glorious day of worship to God by being everything that God has created you to be. Be that today and all that God has for you will be yours. The word of God is the only rock on which you can stand. Everything else is sand. Today we continue our study on Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 to verse 31. This study is themed the warrior's identity. We are looking at a sub-theme, the warrior's assignment. And this sub-theme comes from the second declaration that we are looking at in this text. And the second declaration is the declaration that God made concerning man. When he was creating man, God made three declarations. We're looking at a second one at this time. And this one centers around the warrior's assignment. And so our identity is who we are and what we're what we're supposed to be doing. Our assignment is a part of our identity. And we are looking at the fourth part of this declaration. And that is, and subdue it. That is in reference to God speaking about man, that man should subdue the earth. And so we are looking at this fourth aspect of this second declaration. And so we are studying the word that is translated subdue. That's the Hebrew word that is translated subdue. It's the word kavash. And kavash is a word that is spelled with a kaf, a bait, and a shin. We have already looked at the kaf. We have previously looked at the bait. Now we are considering the sheen. And in this our consideration of the sheen, we are now at the point where we want to look at some of the lessons we have learned so far from the sheen. So we have looked at the pictogram. We have looked at the uh, shape and its form. We have looked at the gematria. We have looked at its initiation. And now we're looking at some lessons that we've learned so far from the sheen. So I hope that I've not lost you in this series that we're doing but that you are fully abreast of where we are or far we are and are able to follow through. All right, so let's turn our attention now to look at the lessons that we've learned so far concerning the letter Sheen. Now, the Sheen teaches us that joy is the power through which we connect with Yehovah. We have looked at some of the aspects, the various aspects of the Sheen, and one of the things that comes out is that the sheen is the is joy. It's joy. And joy is the power through which we connect with Yehovah. And the sheen teaches us that. Also, the letter sheen is unique in that it is the one letter that God uses as his signature. There is a name 
that's given to God, that's used of God in the scripture. And that is the name El Shaddai. Now, El Shaddai is the begins an Aleph and a Lamed, so that's El. And then the second part of that Ifenid word is Shaddai. So it's El Shaddai. It, it, it literally means God Almighty or Almighty God. All right? So Shaddai begins with a sheen. It's believed that the use of the sheen as God's signature is, is really an, a contraction of this reference to God, El Shaddai. But in essence, it's, it, it's, it's believed and it is something that is that holds true in the tradition of the Jews that the, the sheen is a signature of God. And th there's much more to learn about this letter as it relates to the signature of God, but then that's for another study. All right, so let's move on. The highest level of elevation that we can experience is joy. And this is something that we have to, have to acknowledge that is what the sheen stands for, being on the highest elevation. That's why the sheen means a peak. In the Psalms, it's, it's declared, when the Lord brought us back, we were like dreamers. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing and joy. Joy is at our highest level of elevation. All right. That's our highest level of elevation. And again, the initiation of the sheen teaches that also, because remember, when you look at the initialization of the sheen, it was in the word uh, Shemahim. All right. Shemahim. And that is the word for heaven. Now, Shema, Shemahim uh, is the word for heaven, and that's the Hebrew word for heaven. So therefore, we know that heaven being above, the sheen speaks about being above. And here, it speaks to the highest level of elevation. That is the expression of joy. The emotion of joy as it relates to the element of fire and the heart is associated with the experience of love and bliss. These states are reached when all blocks to our pure loving nature and our connection to the divine are removed. Anything that blocks our pure loving nature and our connection with God, when all those blocks are removed, it is then that we can attain the experience of love and bliss. That's how you reach those states. Whatever is preventing you from expressing your loving nature and expressing your connection with God, that is when you attain that level of love and bliss. We, my friends, must strive to attain these states at all times for the sake of our health. We must strive to attain these for the sake of our health. The Torah warns us that the divine fire that burns on the altar must not be extinguished. It is easy to be inspired, but it's not easy to keep our inner fire lit as the Bible commands us to. You can never and must never allow that fire of love to go dim or to go out from within us. We must always constantly strive to live in this state of that loving nature, that expression of loving nature and being connected with God. Fire, our powerful destructive passions, can be extinguished by wind or by water, which is our fears and depression. Proverbs 17 and verse 22 teaches us this, my friends. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth up the bones. Here, my friends, for the sake of our health, we must strive to live and attain these states 
at all times, this loving and joyful state. There has been several studies and numerous reports on depression being a cause of osteoporosis. Osteoporosis is a disease of low bone mineral density, commonly referred to as BMD, or excessive bone loss. New research is also showing that being sad for a prolonged period of time can also have a negative effect on bone health in both men and women. This is true even as it relates to arthritis. Now, my friends, this is very important for us to understand. That the reason for us to always strive to attain or to achieve that, that elevation of joy and love in our behavior and in our life, our health depends on it. Our health depends on that. Living on a high, our health depends on it. Both in shape and sound. The sheen represents the effort of the soul to elevate and cleave to God. What's the shape of the sheen? It's the, it's the valve pointing upwards with a yod on top of each of those three valves. So in its shape, it represents the effort of man's soul to elevate and cleave to God. For this reason, it is the beginning of the word shira. Shira is the Hebrew word for song, and song is the instrument of the soul that we use to unite with God. Singing, as David says, enter his presence with singing. That's what David says. So singing, song, is how we enter God's presence. It's how our soul connects with God. It's how our soul is elevated. That's the effort of the soul to elevate and connect and to cleave to God. It is through songs that we are elevated and that we are united with God. Singing, my friends, is one of the ways that we, we connect with God. Our soul connects with God. There's much to be understood and learned even when you consider this whole aspect of frequency of music and even in singing and chanting. Another time, I may look at those, those aspects of songs and singing and how what effect it has on our being and our relationship with God and creation. I want to turn our attention now to look at some additional features of the sheen. Those are just some of the lessons we have learned so far about the sheen. But let's turn our attention now to look at Psalm 119 from verse 161 to verse 168 because in that section of the psalm, there are some lessons for us to learn concerning the sheen. Psalm 119 is a unique psalm. It is comprised of 176 verses, which further divide into 22 sections, with 8 verses in each section. You already know from previous um, studies that the Hebrew Aleph Beit has 22 letters. So therefore, each of the 22 sections in this psalm focuses on a letter of the Hebrew Aleph Beit, with each verse beginning with a focus letter. So for example... The first section begins at verse 1 and ends at verse 8. In this section, it focuses on the letter Aleph because that's the first letter of the Hebrew Aleph Beit. And each of the verses in this section begins with an Aleph. So the first word in each section, in each verse in that section, begins with an Aleph. This is a unique way, my friend, that David is teaching us about the letters of the Aleph Beit. 
Because each of the words used in this section will teach us about the focus letter. Therefore, the sheen and the section of Psalm 119 that focuses on the sheen is verse 161 to verse 168. Let us look at these words used in this section of the psalm to gain an understanding of what the sheen means, to gain some further understanding as to what the sheen means. In verse 161, the first word there is sarim. Now, sarim is a plural form of the word sar. Sar is the word for prince. So therefore, sarim is princes. And the word princes, or the word sarim, it means a commander, or a captain or ruler, or a military officer over soldiers. That is used... It is used in that way in Psalm in um, 1 Samuel 14, verse 50. And then it also means a prince. That is a noble individual. That is a leader of government and society with a focus on their family relationships. So it's as a result of their family relationships why they're called a prince and why they are given that leadership position uh, uh, over government or over society. The word is also used to refer to an official, a leader, or a chief. That is one who is a leader in any of various capacities. It's also used to refer to a high-ranking angel, as is the case in Joshua chapter 5, verse 14, when the angel came to, to, to Joshua and says, as captain of the host of the Lord. So there it is used as a, to refer to a high-ranking angel. The angel referred to himself as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua he referred to him as such, and the scriptures refer to him as such. That is the word princes, and that's what it means. Here in the text, in this um, Psalm 119.161, David says, The princes persecute me without a cause. But I don't want you to be distracted by the context in which David uses that word, because the word itself speaks to someone who is on a high. That's the aspect that is bringing out the letter sheen, the meaning of the letter sheen, princess, someone who is above, someone who is a leader, an official, a leader, a chief, a high-ranking individual. The second word in Psalm 119 verse 167 is the word sas. And the word sas means to rejoice. It means to rejoice. This word it speaks of being pleased or to be delighted, to be glad. That is, you have a feeling or attitude of fondness and enjoyment in an object, implying a love relationship to the object of delight. So this is where your expression of joy is the highest elevation of our emotion. This, again, is bringing out that idea of the sheen. The sheen being a high expression of our, of our fondness, of our delight, and being glad and being joyful. But this joyful expression and this jubilant expression, it implies that you have a, a love relationship with him who is causing that joyful expression. The third one in Psalm 119 and verse 169, or Psalm 160, 163, sorry, you're going so fast, is the word sheker. And sheker means falseness or lying. Falseness. All right, it, it, it means falseness or deception or lying. It's, 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 it also means a liar, one who uses falsehood and lies. So deception, my friend, is, is, is a misleading falseness that is a state or condition which is utterly false and causes a mistaken belief. In other words, it causes a false high. 
<laughs> Lying may put you on a false level of or false height. Deception. You see, a person will try to deceive you because they want to think of them higher than they really are. So the person is a pauper, but they want to think of them as a rich individual. That's how they want to think of them. And so they employ deception to get you to think of them to that higher degree and that higher level. My friends, that's how deception is used. It's always Muslims used to get persons to think of the, the individual, try to get persons to think of them more higher than they really are. They conceal the truth about themselves and put forth something else that is grander, more pristine, and looking much better than, they, than what they really are. The fourth word is the word Shiva. Shiva means the word seven. It's the Hebrew word for seven. It may be used to refer to actually the, an ordinal position like seventh or, or seven times. All right, so that word is, is used to refer to seven times, meaning seven occurrences of something. All right, seven is also used to refer to a large indefinite number. So seven is also used to refer to that because, again, seven is the completion of a cycle. When you talk about the completion of a cycle, you're looking at a circle. A circle has no beginning nor no end. This is how seven is used to refer to something that is indefinite, a large indefinite number. So it brings back to mind when Christ says you should forgive your brother if he sins against us in seven times a day. You know, you should forgive him not just seven times, but 70 times seven. Meaning that Christ was saying that, that there's an endless amount of times. There's no limits. Limitless, indefinite time. Now, the fifth word is the word shalom. Shalom begins with a sheen. Now, shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. All right? And that needs much, much more explanation there. But it also is a word which means completeness. It also means safeness and health. All of these references, my friend, speaks to you being on a high. Being complete, it means you're much better than you were before you were complete. So now you are at the top of your possibilities, of your potential. Safeness means you're above, you know, being affected by the conditions that you may be existing in or among. That's safeness. You're above hurt. You're above harm. Health is your above sickness, your above disease. Your health is on a high. It's a state of lack of disease and a wholeness of well-being. That's it. Peace, shalom. That word speaks to that. It speaks to prosperity. That is an, an, an intact state of favorable circumstances. Oh, that's how it also means to be blessed. Mm. The sixth word is sibarti. It means hope. Sibarti means hope. What is hope? Hope is to look to something, to have confidence that a beneficial event will occur. It implies your dependent trust on someone, even relationship in the object of the hope. It means to wait for, to be in a certain state until an expected or hoped for event occurs. That's hope. You're highly confident. The seventh word is the word shamra. Now, shamra is the Hebrew word which means to keep. 
It means to keep. That is it, it, a cause to our state or condition to remain. To be set aside. Or it means to keep oneself. Or it also means to guard or to watch over something. In other words, you limit access and movement of persons or objects in and out of an area. It also implying, implies protection to or from the object being guarded. Now, in the sense of being guarded, you might wonder what does that really mean to that you're protected from or, or to the object being guarded. You're, 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 when you're guarding something, you're either guarding the thing from others accessing it or you're guarding the person from accessing other areas. For example, a prisoner is guarded to prevent the prisoner from accessing freedom. But a, but a, a prince or a chief is guarded to prevent others from accessing, accessing the chief. So that's what it is meant when we say protection to or from the object being guarded. This, the eighth word is the word shamarti. Same root as the word shamra. So therefore, shamar is, is a root word. So shamar, shamra and shamarti come from that same word shamar. In, shamarti means to keep. or that, that word shamarti means I have kept. I have kept. The root of that word is, is the same word keep, which I've just explained a while ago. No need to go through it again. But this word shamarti means I have kept. Whereas the seventh word shamra means have kept or have kept. But shamarti has a, a prefix now, a suffix now, which means I. So it's not just have kept, but no, it is I have kept. These are the eight words used in Psalm 119, verse 161 to verse 168. What do these words teach us about the sheen? As we have seen, all these words show various aspects of the sheen. They bring out the idea of what? Completeness. Being lifted on and high. The peak being above. All these words bring out this idea. Psalm 119 focuses squarely on the word of God. Every section of Psalm 119 has something to say about the word of God. In some sections, we see that every verse says something about God's word. In other sections, we may not have that case or that situation where it says something about the word of God. I highlighted before that there are six ways that Psalm 119 refers to Jehovah's word. However, there are actually seven. I missed one. Don't know how I did that, but I missed one. So there are seven ways that David referred to Jehovah's word in Psalm 119. Here are the seven ways. He refers to it as thy statutes, thy judgments, thy precepts, thy commandments, thy law, thy testimonies, and thy word. That's what I missed out on, thy word. It was so common, <laughs> I took it for granted. Eh? All right, so those are the seven references that David has in referring to the word of God. Of these seven terms, six of them are used in this section of the psalm, of the sheen. This section of the psalm that focuses on the sheen, six of these words, six of these phrases are used in this section. This is telling us, my friends, that the sheen is the word of God. The power of the sheen is the word of God. The power of the sheen to consume, the power of the sheen to transform is the word of God. The word of God, it is, it is the word of God that cleanses my Ephesians 5 verse 25, 27 reads, 
Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. It is the word through which Christ will cleanse and sanctify his church and present her glorious to himself without spot or wrinkle or blemish. It's the word of God that accomplishes this, my friends. So we must know that it's the word of God that cleanses man. We must also know that it's the word of God that transforms man. In Romans 12 verse 2 it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be it transformed by the renewing of your mind, that it may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do you renew your mind? You renew your mind in the word of God. That is how you renew your mind. By feasting on the word of God and by living the word of God, you will change your mind. You will change your culture. Changing your mind means changing your culture, changing the way you behave, changing how you, you exist and, and, and relate to others. It is the word of God that uplifts man. It is God's word that uplifts man and elevates him to a higher level of existence. A higher level of existence. My friends, in closing of this section i want to highlight for you one other aspect of the sheen that is shown here in this section we know and i've already explained before that the first and last of a thing owes its significance and we see this borne out in the tradition of the jewish people and in the scriptures as well the first and the last of a thing owes its significance we see the first letter of the Bible expressing that God is embodied in creation. That you know, the word of God embodies God. We saw the see that last letter of, of, the, of the Bible, the Tanakh. It shows us that the word of God is for our learning. That's what the, the, the Lamed means. Lamed is the last letter. Beit is the first letter. We have seen that in, in and I've shown that to you before. So here I want to look at the first and the last sheen words in this section of Psalm 119 because they hold some significance about the sheen. What's the first word? It's that word princes. What's the last word? It's the word shamarti. Princes we know is an individual who is a high-ranking individual, being on a high, above others, ruling and having dominion over others. Shamarti is the word that says, I have kept. What has David kept? I've kept thy precepts. God's word. Here, my friends, this is showing us that the sheen is being above on an high and also is showing us that the sheen is how we get there through keeping God's word. You get on high through keeping God's word. That is how you get on high, my friend. Jesus says, the man who hears his word and do them it's like a man who built his house upon a rock. But the man who hears his word and doesn't do them is like a foolish man who built his house upon a sand. And what's your house being built today, my friends? You can tell if you are doing God's word or not. If you're doing God's word, you're standing on that rock.
The word of God is the only rock on which you can stand. Everything else is sand. In the story I reference that Christ speaks of the person who hears his word and does it is like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. The common thread between the wise man and the foolish man is that the rains came, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon both of their houses. The only difference between them, my friends, is that the man who hears the word of God, his house stood firm. But the man who did not do what he heard from the word of God, his house fell and great was the fall of it. Your fall shall be great if you refuse to do what the word of God says. Take the word of God for what it says and do what it says. Live by it. Follow its precepts. Keep its precepts and you shall be always standing on that rock. That rock is the word of God. That rock is Jesus. You can only stand on that rock if you obey and do what the word of God says. Father, we give you thanks to thee. We give you glory. We give you praise. We give you honor. You are God and there is none like you, Jesus. None like you in any way, shape or form. We give you thanks for your goodness, for your love, for your mercies, which are new to us every morning, every day. Father, we pray today that you'll help us, Lord, to stand on your words, even in moments when we cannot perceive or see or envision its rewards. But help us, Father, to stand on your words always, to be always standing on the surety of your words, knowing that your words cannot be moved. It's immovable. It always stands and shall always stand. When all else, O oh God, falls, your word alone will stand. We give you thanks, we give you praise today for your goodness, your love and your mercy upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day now, my friends. And do remember that God loves you and I do too. Shalom. Shalom.